0: I really want to add my welcome today. My name's Dave Smith, a Senior Pastor of Kingsgate. I want to say a very happy Easter to all of you, whether you, this is your first day in Kingsgate or whether you've been coming for decades. You're most welcome on this very, very special day. Um, I don't know what your view of Easter is, but apparently in a survey of British children quite, d- done quite recently uh, between ages 5 to 16, the children said this, that a third of them thought that Easter was a celebration of the Easter bunny's birthday. A quarter thought that Easter eggs were invented at Easter, and nearly a half had no idea at all about the true meaning of Easter. For many adults in our nation, um, Easter is just not really that important. It's kind of like just another bank holiday weekend. Um, a friend of mine at the gym said it was DIY weekend. What a horrible thought. Uh, and, uh, but for many, it's just a gar- trip to the garden center, extra holiday, that's it. With that as a backdrop... It can be a little bit of a surprise, and for some of you, if this is your first time here, it can almost be a bit of a a, a surprise to see so many people gathered here celebrating Easter in a very different way. What I want to say is that this is not an isolated incident. The thousands of us gathered across this weekend in one local church is actually a, a tiny snapshot of what's happening right now all across the planet there's an estimated 2.4 billion people who in some way are going to be celebrating the true meaning of Easter. We described it in that first song as the greatest day in history. That's what we're celebrating, an event that took place 2,000 years ago. But if you're here and all of this does seem a bit of a mystery, people singing lifting up their hands, even jumping up and down. You wonder what all the excitement is. You feel like you're sort of looking in from the outside. Can I say I empathize? I remember years ago, um, I was in America, I was in Dallas, and some friends took me to see the Dallas Cowboys. Now, for those of you uninitiated, that's not real Cowboys. That's an American football team. And I went along to this event And um, was watching the Dallas Cowboys play some other team. Now, I've been brought up on sensible British sports... Like football and cricket and rugby. And so I stepped into this world that was completely foreign. Everyone else was having an absolute bore. I had not a clue what was going on. The first thing that struck me was how long it was. It went on for about four hours. They punctuated the match all the way through. I don't know how many uh, dozens of commercial breaks all the way through. There were scantily clad cheerleaders prancing around. And then from time to time, everyone all with one voice shouted the 90,000 there defense, defense, and I'm like, What well, defense, what? I just had not got a clue what was going on. My friend um, manfully tried to explain to me the rules of American football, but it was all, to be honest, a complete blur, and I went out and really none the wiser about what I'd seen. So if you're here today and that's what you feel, my hope and my desire is that by the end of this short message, you'll be a little bit clearer about the meaning of Easter than I was about American football. I'm also aware there are many others here who maybe a bit more like my experience is you grew up with something of an understanding of the Easter story. Maybe, um, in, as in my case, through Sunday school or church or RE lessons. Um, but, but like me, growing up with an, a, an intellectual understanding that Easter was more than about Easter eggs or Easter bunnies. It was about Jesus, His death, bear and resurrection. But knowing that intellectually didn't actually make any difference to my life at all. For me, my abiding memories of Easter were, it just seemed a lot less exciting than Christmas. Um, You know, the highlights, of course, were the the Easter eggs on Easter Sunday morning breakfast, and then the real sort of um, high point of the day was the afternoon treasure hunt, um, you know, searching all around our garden for Easter eggs and being just slightly competitive. I put myself into that event with great gusto. But apart from that, really, as I look back, Easter just seemed to come and go without much ado. Knowing about Easter didn't actually make any difference to my life whatsoever. And that continued all the way through my childhood, right through my teens, until at the age of 19, I had what I could only describe as an encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ. I invited Him to come into my life by the Holy Spirit. And suddenly, the Jesus that I knew about became personal to me, and my life changed forever. And from that day on, from that day on, it was actually in 1983, a couple of weeks before Easter, 1983, from that day on, Easter has always been very special to me, because I now know the person about whom Easter is all about. So let me ask this question and try and answer it. What is Easter all about, and why is it so significant? What we're going to do is we're going to go back to a particular um, part of one of the Gospels, one of the original documents we have of the Easter story. It's in John's Gospel, chapter 20. You'd have seen um, reference to it on the screen during the drama, and the drama itself was portraying the events of that first Easter Sunday morning from John, chapter 20. And it highlights the story of one woman, as we saw, a woman called Mary Magdalene. And there are really three scenes in John 20. The first is this. Mary, on that first Easter Sunday morning, she, it's dark, and she goes out towards the tomb, and there she finds that the stone has been rolled away. Scene one. Scene two, she runs back to the disciples. They come to the tomb. They inspect inside the tomb only to find that Jesus' body is gone. And then scene three, Mary returns back to the tomb, walks around the garden, and then she encounters Jesus Christ, no longer dead, but clearly fully alive and well. And from those three scenes, we can um, understand three stunning truths that were true then, but are as true today, that can change our lives as they changed mary's life on that first easter sunday morning and so let's look at these three truths the first truth is this light has overcome darkness light has overcome darkness and we can all i am sure identify with the phrase there's light at the end of the tunnel when we talk about the tunnel, we think of a dark season or a dark experience in our lives. And we just hope that we'll come out of that time or that experience and we'll step out. And in stepping out of the darkness, light will shine in our lives again. And so when John records at the beginning of chapter 20, that on the first Easter Sunday morning, very early in the morning, and he, he uses these, this phrase, while it was still dark... Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb. That phrase, while it was still dark, he's not just telling us the time of day, that it was very early in the morning. He's actually saying that something's going on in Mary's life. It feels like it's all dark. It's gone dark. Life has turned dark. Why? Because, as we saw in the drama, Mary was somebody who had had a dark past. She'd obviously had all kinds of troubles in her life. That was until she met Jesus in his earthly ministry. And somehow, and we don't know the details, she, had a, she met the Lord Jesus and her life was totally changed. It was like light came into her darkness. She became a devoted follower of Jesus and then everything would have seemed dark when she saw Jesus cruelly tortured, crucified. It looked like it was all over when he was laid in a tomb, clearly clinically dead, and the stone was rolled over the tomb. And so as she's going to that tomb on Easter Sunday morning, she's going, as it were, in darkness, but by the time she comes to the tomb, the light is shining, and John's telling us something deeper is going on than even Mary was aware of. What she didn't realize at that moment, we now know that light had overcome darkness. And this thing of light and darkness is something that is still very pertinent to our world today. You see, our lives can be like Mary's on that first Easter Sunday morning. It feels like things can happen in our world, and it feels like everything just goes dark. And there can be, a, as it were, a circumstantial or outward darkness in our lives, and things can go badly wrong, and we can face the, the darkness and the fear and the torment of ill health or financial trouble or relational breakdown. But there's a darkness that sometimes we're not aware of that affects all of us unless we've received Jesus. And it's an inner darkness. It's, we can't see true meaning in life. We can't see our way to a relationship with God. And sometimes we carry inner darkness of guilt and shame in our lives. But the good news this Easter is that light has overcome darkness. Jesus himself said in John 8 verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, will never walk in darkness. What a great promise. But will have the light of life. This is a great promise. Can I say if you are a follower of Jesus Christ today, you can have this promise. that That light is your destiny and your future. For many of you here, you're not yet a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, at the close of this service, I want to give you an opportunity to step out from wherever you are, in any area of darkness, internally or externally, and come and run to Jesus the light. Or it may be you're here and you used to follow Jesus and you're here because it's Easter Sunday and you're specially welcome. But you know that things are not been right in your relationship with Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to step back and follow Jesus and enjoy the light that he brings. That's the first glorious truth of Easter. Light has overcome darkness. But this is only possible because of the second central truth of Easter. Light has overcome darkness is only made possible because life has overcome death. Life has overcome death. And that's what we're primarily focusing on in the Easter story. You see, one of the greatest shadows over humanity is death and the fear of death. You could say that as human beings, ultimately death is our greatest enemy. The last time I checked, the death rate was 100%. Yet throughout history, mankind has tried to escape death and its effects. From the ancient Egyptian pharaohs who sought to escape death and go straight through to the afterlife. Right down to our modern obsession with cosmetics and anti-aging products. We try and we fail to overcome the effects of death in our lives. But whether we like it or not, this is the bad news. We're all getting older and one day we'll die. There's a certain finality about it. I heard a, a story of a passenger in a hired limousine who leaned over to ask the driver for the time and gently tapped him on the shoulder to get his attention. The driver shrieked, lost control of the vehicle, nearly hit a bus, drove up onto, over the curb and stopped just inches from a large plate glass window. For a few moments everything was silent in the cab. Then the still shaking driver said, Are you okay? I'm so sorry, but you scared the daylights out of me. The badly shaken passenger apologized to the driver and said he didn't realize that a mere tap on the shoulder would startle the driver so badly. The driver replied, no, no, I'm the one who's sorry. It's entirely my fault. Today is my very first day driving a limo. For the past 25 years, I've been driving a hearse. Some of you are just getting it. Anyway, (laughs) why was the driver so shocked? Because he knew that death is final and dead people aren't supposed to rise from the dead. But let let, let me just bring this to your attention. This is what we are celebrating at Easter along with billions across the planet. That 2,000 years ago, a fully dead man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who had been laid in a tomb, buried for three days, came back to life. It's a, it's a shocking, it's a surprising, it's a history-defining event. Many years ago, a brilliant uh, professor of philosophy at London University, was not a Christian at the time, was asked on a radio program, if you could meet any person from the past and ask them just one question, whom would you meet and what question would you ask? He answered without hesitation, I would meet Jesus Christ And ask him the most important question in the world. Did you or did you not rise from the dead? This is a vital foundational question. It's so important that next week at the start of our Why Believe series. We're going to be partly looking at that question again. The question of did Jesus rise from the dead. But just for today I want to look at our text. The passage we're looking at from John 20. And and just give five key facts that, that would demonstrate to us that the resurrection is not something that was made up. It's not a myth. It's not fantasy that people for all these centuries have just um, based their lives around. It's actually a true historical event. Let me just quickly give you these facts. Fact number one, a woman was the first to witness the resurrection. You say, so what? Well, some have suggested that the disciples made up the story of the resurrection. Yet... They lived in a male-dominated culture when the presence of female witnesses would not have been accepted in court. Hence, if they wanted to make up the story of the resurrection, they wouldn't have had a woman there first. Compelling fact number one. Fact number two, the huge stone was rolled away. Some have suggested that the disciples themselves actually stole the body. But the stone across the tomb weighed, they reckon, between one to two um, tons. It was heavily guarded by Roman soldiers, and it would have had an imperial seal over it. Anyone messing with it would have been executed. So it's not as if they could have just sneaked up, and just whip the body away. It's, it's like, it's ridiculous. It's like us saying, well, let's just go to the Tower of London and we'll sneak past the guards and we'll whip the crown jewels out. Fact number three. The disciples were not expecting the resurrection. It's not as if they carefully concocted the story. If you read the evidence in John and the other gospel writers, they were as surprised as anybody. Mary's first reaction when she hears about the empty tomb... ...is, ah, they've taken the Lord's body... ...not, he's risen from the dead. Fact number four... ...the presence and positioning of the grave clothes. Some have suggested that robbers stole the body. But if robbers had stolen the body... ...they would have taken the whole mummy. Whereas when the disciples went to inspect the the tomb... ...they didn't actually find an empty tomb... They found Jesus' body gone, but the most valuable part, the grave clothes still there, and the head cloth. But they weren't unwrapped as if somebody had unwrapped the body. They were just there like a collapsed chrysalis, as if Jesus had somehow passed through the grave clothes. No wonder one of the disciples who goes in and looks at the tomb, according to John 20 verse 8, it says, "...he saw and believed." And throughout history, many people have studied the evidence from John 20 and the empty tomb, and on that basis have become Christians. But there's a final fact that actually is the most important of all. And it's that Jesus not only was absent from the tomb, but he was present with his people. And over 40 days, he made many appearances to his disciples. In fact, he appeared to over 500 on 11 different occasions every time convincing these shocked disciples that the same Jesus who they'd seen crucified was truly alive and well. Back to the professor that I mentioned earlier. There came a point when he was in a tough time in his life and he decided to study the evidence for the resurrection himself. And after carefully looking at all the facts, he believed and he himself Became a Christian. He was right in saying that this is the most important question in the world. Why? Because if Jesus rose from the dead and is still alive, it means he is unparalleled, he's unique. There's no other person in history like him, and everything he ever said is true. He has rightful claim to be the Lord of the world, and he has the power and the authority. Because he has overcome death, because his life has overcome death, it means that he now can bestow on everybody who follows him eternal life. It means that death, death, our greatest enemy, no longer will ultimately triumph over us. It means that we can enjoy new life now. A new um, peace, a new joy, new forgiveness, a life that will go on forever. And it means for those who are followers of Jesus, death is not a thing to be feared. It's like a stepping stone into eternity, into the presence of God, while we wait for the second coming of Jesus, when we're going to have new bodies and we're going to live forever and ever on a new earth with the glory and the presence of God, without aging, without sickness, without mourning, without death, without crying and shame this is the central message of Easter it's the great hope of humanity that life in Jesus has ultimately and finally overcome death wonderful wonderful news lights overcome darkness life has overcome death this means thirdly that love can overcome despair I remember when our girls were young how we'd sometimes hear them crying in their bedroom. One of us would go in and they'd be there in their cot with the sort of bottom lip trembling looking completely distraught and sometimes we were aware that we needed to fix something. Um, you know, there was sometimes a bit of an aroma there and um, we knew something needed fixing or it was obvious they were hungry and so we would, we would fix the problem. I would sometimes fix the problem. <laughs> But many, many other times, there wasn't anything that we did for them. Sometimes, the moment we opened the door and they saw us, the bottom lip stopped trembling, the crying ceased, and everything changed. Other times, it needed a bit more. We could just speak their name or just speak quietly or gently to, and suddenly... Peace would come over them. Other times they needed more than that. They needed a hug from mummy or daddy. But the point I'm making is it was our presence often was enough. When it come, came to Mary, what changed her life again was the loving presence of Jesus himself. She was actually so distraught, so filled with grief, as sometimes we can be, that we can actually... Completely lose perspective. She'd obviously lost it completely because she missed every sign that God was giving her that something had happened. The stones rolled away. There's the presence of the angelic. The body has gone. She, missed, she just still doesn't get it. And even when Jesus was standing there, she mistakes him for the gardener. That was until she hears him say, as she must have heard him say, many times before, Mary. And I love it. It's like at that moment when she hears her master and her Lord and her Savior call her name personally, it's like her eyes are opened and she suddenly realized that the Jesus who had died is alive and well and was standing there right in her very presence. It's the same with us. If I look back at my life, my life was changed Not first and foremost because Jesus came and fixed things for me, although he's been amazing in changing my circumstance around. But when I invited him to come in and prayed a prayer, as I'm going to invite you to pray in a short while, when the presence of God came into my life, you say, how can that be given that Jesus is in heaven now? Well, it happens because Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit to be with us. And it means that we can know... His presence, the very presence of God in our lives, just as really as Mary physically encountered Jesus on that first Easter Sunday. And as the presence of God came into my life, suddenly what some people call that cosmic loneliness was taken away and the peace and presence of God came into my life. It was like where I'd sense I was struggling for meaning and purpose. Suddenly I just knew that I was born for purpose. All that I'd done wrong. Stuff that I was not proud of. That I hadn't even, wasn't even aware the effect it had on my life. It was like just washed out of my life. There's something about the presence of Jesus that changes everything. Here's the glorious truth of Easter. Just as on that first Easter Sunday morning. The presence of Jesus. His love for Mary overcame her despair. So the love of Jesus can overcome and change every situation and every circumstance in our lives. Do you know, He loves you, and just like He knew Mary's name, He knows your name. He loves you, so much so that He came to this earth. So much so that He hung on a cross. He hung on a cross, and ultimately it wasn't a place of defeat, it was a place of victory, because on the cross, Jesus bore all our... Shame, all our guilt, all our sorrow, and ultimately our death itself. And then in his love, he rose from the dead and he is here by his spirit. And he says to every single one of us, Will you step out of your darkness and come into my light? Will you flee from a life of death and emptiness and come and enjoy my life? Will you run away from despair and come and receive my loving presence in your life?